0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. America needs individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalts the nation, but sin to
1: a reproach to any people. Hello, and welcome to of god and man the show that's obviously scared of heights because we've never gotten it off the ground <laughs> this is your host Brom french if you want to reach me you can reach me at 210-854-8029 preferably text if you want to email me you can email me at bromfrench@mail.com french at mail.com so some of you have got to be asking you've got to be wondering saying, where is the commentary on the Democratic debate? Well, worry not. Tomorrow, we are going to sit down. I'm going to sit down with Brianna, and that is my 16-year-old daughter. We're going to sit down, and we're going to go through the commentary. We're going to tell you what we thought of the debate, some of what they said, and what we believe they meant by what they said. So, uh, we've already got the notes. At least I do. We're going to be doing it by phone. And so, uh, I'm actually, uh, out of Texas, out of state and she is home. And, uh, so we're going to hook it up and we're going to go by phone and have our, uh, give our commentary. So worry we not. Tune in tomorrow and, uh, it will sure to be, uh, anytime Brianna's is going to be on the show, it's going to be sure to be good. She always finds a way, uh, to be entertaining, <laughs> so my wife gives me a call. Missy gives me a call yesterday and tells me, "Did you hear this crazy news of uh, the woman? Did you hear this crazy news of this woman that is suing her nephew?" And I totally caught me off guard. Just I had no idea what she was talking about. And uh, she said there was, and come to find out, you know that uh, she had lost. But a woman sues her nephew, her 12 year old nephew, for, for, forcefully, for a forceful birthday greeting injury. He ran, now, this happened four years ago, right? So the boy is eight years old, and his probably his favorite at the time, aunt, has come to his birthday party. And this eight-year-old boy is enthusiastic. He's, what she says, over-exuberant, I think was the term she used. And the boy runs and jumps in her arms. Well, she doesn't catch him just right. And she tumbles. They tumble to the ground together and she breaks her wrist. So four years later, she takes the 12-year-old boy to court and sues him for over $100,000. Now, a good question is going to be, where did this happen, or um, where is this lady from? I, I think that's a legitimate question to ask. And the, why would why would I say that? You know, because it, it could be Midwest, it it, it could be um, Wisconsin or Idaho, but of course it's not. You want to know where it is? Where the woman lives? Manhattan. She lives in New York. Um, why is that important? Because it shows the mentality of the people in that particular location, that area. Uh, you get people in California, they're idiots. You get people in New York, they're morons. Um, you, you, the, the the extreme coast, they're they're wackos. And uh, of course, here I am. And one of the things she says is she wanted to teach her son that, or her nephew, that uh, there are consequences for your actions. And I do agree with that aspect. There are consequences for your actions. You do need to pay for things you've done wrong. But an eight-year-old boy being exuberant to see his aunt, I've got a hard time saying that is the one to throw the gauntlet down at. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But, uh, hey, who am I? I should have thrown this in with odd news. But... uh, Nonetheless, here it is. There's another very interesting story I ran across. I ran across it, I don't remember, a couple days ago. And I, I, I want to bring it to your attention. Just, I, I won't go through the whole story, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about it. It was the Olympics. The Olympics in 1968. Race relations were not the best, to say the least. There are racial riots, racial tension. Everywhere seemed to be all over the place, in Australia, in England, in America, especially in America. Race relations in Australia, it was a part-time type mentality. And so during this 1968 Olympics, Mexico City, the 200-meter run, there are three winners. They've got a gold, silver, and bronze. And two of these winners appear or are African-American. They are black. And one of them is white. They are standing in the winner's circle or the podium. You've got the gold that is standing higher than the others. And these two black gentlemen have their fists raised over their heads in black gloves signifying at the time black power. Or nowadays, we would probably call them Black Panthers, or it's what we used to call them. But signifying the need for racial equality. Now today, if somebody was to do that in America, I would probably have a different take. But today is not 1968. And so in 1968, two of these men hold their fists up with their gloves on saying power to black people or give us our rights, our liberty, our freedom. Let us drink from the same water fountain. And the one white winner standing there, not a gold winner, silver or bronze, stands there just normal. The music has started playing the national anthem. America has won. We've got the gold. And these two gentlemen and the people begin to sing. And these two black gentlemen raise their fists up into the air, saying black power. And the white man just stands there, has no gloves on. But an interesting development has come out. You see, they finally spoke out about him, about this one white Olympian, this one white winner. He was more than a winner just because he won in the 200-meter race. No, he was more than just that. He was a winner because he had courage. He was a winner because he had guts. He, has a, he was a winner because he was willing to stand up even if it meant back in his home nation that he would be ridiculed, that he would be mocked, that he would lose any standing in society. Interesting, at his funeral, these two black men were a couple of the pallbearers at his wedding. What is so special about this white man? You see, the reason, if you were to look at the picture, you would see that both of these black men have their hands raised, but one has his left hand raised in a fist, and the other has his right hand raised in a fist. You see, they only had one pair of gloves, and so they did not know what to do or were considering who should do it. And it was the white man that said, why don't you raise your right hand with a glove and why don't you, at the other man, raise your left hand with a glove. That is what they decided to do. More than that, they wore a patch that said that they wanted equality. Just equality. And so they wore this patch, but they only had two And the white man asked for one. But neither of these black gentlemen would be willing, obviously, to give up their patch to say, here you go and give it to a white man. This is their opportunity to stand for their rights and what they believe. And so why then would you give it to a white man? Why would you? The white man can use any restroom he wants He can drink out of any water fountain he wants. He can marry almost anybody he wants. Why would you give it to the white man? This is our movement. This is the only time we have to make a public statement. And after all, we are black. We are the ones that are persecuted. But there was one... African-American, was not one of the winners, not in this event, what would he do? He would take his patch and give it to the white man. And so the white man will stand at the podium, the winner's circle, and wear the patch that says, I believe everybody should be free. Why is that a big deal? Because when his nation finds out about it, he will be blackballed. He will be ridiculed. He will be scoffed at. He will be, it will be years he will have died before he's ever recognized for what he truly did. Huh. In the day we live in, There are going to be some of us that are going to die before we're ever recognized for the difference that we made. And sometimes, at the moment, it might seem just like a little gesture. But that little gesture that this one white man did has now logged him in history, not for being an Olympian, though he was, Not for being a winner, though he was. But it has logged him in for one simple reason. Because he made a stand for race relations. Because he made a stand and said, I love. No, I don't believe. And and you may think that I now am for saying that black lives matter. Yes, black lives do matter. They especially matter in the womb, and we need to stop killing them. Black lives matter, but so do Asian. So do Hispanic. So do Anglo-Saxons. Oriental. All lives matter. That was an interesting commentary on the debate. We'll get into it tomorrow in the podcast. Interesting commentary, because during that debate, they asked, Are you comfortable with saying black lives matter? And every single candidate, except one, said that black lives matter exclusively. But Jim Webb, Jim Webb stepped up and said all lives matter. I appreciate that. He's a Democrat, folks. I'll take what I can get. be honest with you, for me, I almost want to vote in the Democratic Party and vote for him. I'm not saying I would vote for him for president, but we all know he'll be better. He'd be the best Democrat we've got. Somebody that's willing to say all lives matter. And it matters how you treat everybody. And it doesn't only matter after they're born. It matters in, from conception forward. Thank you, Ben Carson, for standing up. Thank you, Fiorina, for making a stand. Crazy though it is, even Donald Trump has made a stand for life. If you don't have life, what difference does the rest make? What difference does it make if I can't drink from the same water fountain if I'm dead? All lives matter. Black lives matter. Black embryo lives matter. Black Fetus lives matter. Black infants matter. All lives matter. Tell you what, let me take a break, and when I come back, we'll go through the Bible in a trillion years. Hold on just a second.
0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty
1: is no right. Americans these individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is approach reproach to any people. And we are back, and we're about to go to the Bible in a trillion years. We are in Genesis, Genesis chapter 36. We're picking up at verse number seven amazing we're actually in chapter 36 verse number seven the bible says this for their riches were more than that they might dwell together and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle thus dwelt esau and mount seir esau is edom and these are the generations of esau the father of the edomites in mount seir these are the name of esau's son Eliphaz, the son of Adah, uh, the wife of Esau, rules. son. Uh, you know what? Um, let's do this.
0: These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Adar the wife of Esau. Reuel, the son of Bashamath, the wife of Esau. And the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, and Gatim, and Kenaz. And Timnah was concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son. And she bare to Eliphaz, Amalek. These were the sons of Adar Esau's wife. And these are the sons of Reuel, Nahoth, and Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These were the sons of Bashamath, Esau's wife. And these were the sons of Barmah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibaron, Esau's wife. And she bare two Esau, Jush, and Jalam, and Korah. These were dukes of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, Duke Teman, Duke Omar, Duke Zepho, Duke Kenaz, Duke Korah, Duke Gatam, and Duke Amalek. These are the dukes that came of Elipthaz in the land of Edom. These were the sons of Adar
1: oh wait just a second Whew. gotta take a break gotta take a break I'm catching my breath uh, and go
0: and these are the sons of Reuel Esso's son Duke Nahath, Duke Zira Duke Shamma, Duke Mizah these are the dukes that came of Reuel in the land of Edom these are the sons of Bashamath Esso's wife and these are the sons of barmer Esau's wife, Duke Jush, Duke Jalem, Duke Korah. These were the dukes that came of barmer the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, who is Edom, and these are their dukes. These are the sons of Seir the Harite, who inhabited the land, Lotan, and Shobal, and Zibaron, and Anna, and Dason, and Ezir, and Dashan, These are the dukes of the Hurites, the children of Ser in the land of Edom. And the children of Lotan were Hori and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Timna. And the children of Shobal were these, Alvin, and Manahath, and Abiel, Shefo, and Onam. And these are the children of Zibaron, both Adjah, and Anna. This was that Anna that found the mules in the wilderness, as he fed the asses of Zibaron his father.
1: Oh, man. Whew. All right, all right, we're about ready to go again, we're about ready to go again. We're going to get this finished, let's, uh, let's do it.
0: And the children of Anna were these, Dason, and Aholibamah the daughter of Anna. And these are the children of Dason, Hemdan and Eshban, and Ithran, and Cheran. The children of Ezer are these, Bilhan, and Zarvan, and Arkan. The children of Deshan are these, Uz, and erin These are the dukes that came of the Hurites: Duke Lotan, Duke Shobal, Duke Zibaron, Duke Anna. Duke Dason, Duke Ezer, Duke Deshan. These are the dukes that came of Hori, among their dukes in the land of Seir. And these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom, before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. And Bela the son of Beor reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Danhabah. And Bela died, and Jobab the son of Zerah of Bozri reigned in his stead. And Jobab died, and Husham of the land of Temanai reigned in his stead. And Husham died, and Hadad the son of Bedad, who smote Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his stead, and the name of his city was Avith. And Hadad died, and Samlah of Masrekah reigned in his stead. And Samla died, and Saul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his stead. And Saul died, and Baal-Hanan the son of Achbor reigned in his stead. And Baal-Hanan the son of Achbor died, and Hadar reigned in his stead. And the name of his city was Pau, and his wife's name was Mehutabal, the daughter of Matted, the daughter of Mezahub. And these are the names of the dukes that came of Esau, according to their families, after their places, by their names, Duke Timna, Duke Alva, Duke Jedhoth.
1: Oh, man. I tell you what, this becomes a serious workout, folks. Uh alright, are you ready? Catch your breath, get get your ears ready. We're gonna go again and we're gonna we're gonna finish the chapter. How do you like that? And go.
0: Duke Holybama, Duke Ella, Duke Penon, Duke Kenners, Duke Teman, Duke Mibzar, Duke Magdeal, Duke Iram, these be the dukes of Edom, according to their habitations in the land of their possession. He is Esau, the father of the Edomites.
1: Oh, goodness. Okay, listen, This uh, I've just made a new rule. Next time, we're going to start going through the begets and all that nonsense. Uh, and it is important. I understand there's a reason it's in there. But we're going to break it up, and we're going to do uh, five minutes tops. Because that just killed me. <laughs> My attention span is too short for that. And uh, that's really going to slow us up going through the Bible. But... Um, I think it's gonna be the best way to do it. So let's go back, verse number seven, Genesis 36, verse number seven, let's look at that. For the riches were more than their uh, than that they might dwell together, and the land wherein they were stra- strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. So they have been so blessed, now you've got to remember, the Lord told Abraham that I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna bless your kids. He told Isaac, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna bless your kids. And so that means Esau is going to be blessed. Jacob and Esau will both be blessed. He said, for their riches were more than their might uh, that might dwell together and uh, wherein they were strangers and the land couldn't bear them. So they had to move on. They had to separate from each other. And so Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. It's important you remember that. And if you recall, we spoke Uh, a couple podcasts ago about uh, people that are from Esau being very clear about that, not wanting to uh, be compared with the children of Ishmael. It's interesting how that all plays out, but nonetheless. So uh, these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. And then it starts to go through, and uh, verse 10, these are the names of Esau's sons, And, you know, then you lost me. (laughs) And for that, I would have to have maybe Brother Loman, maybe uh, Brother Bill Kelly to come and uh, decipher all this and and tell me what the background means because I just get too bored with this stuff. However, there are some very interesting uh, statements that are made in the middle of uh, and you got to look right in the middle <laughs> of some of it. Verse number 20 says, These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, who inhabited the land. So this guy must have had some kind of uh, some kind of influence, if you will. And if you scroll down a little bit further, you're going to find uh, Alvin, Simon, and Theodore. No, no, uh, that's not right. <laughs> uh, scrolls, verse number 24 said, uh, and these are the children of Zibion, both, you know, some unpronounceable. one was Anna. This was that Anna that found the mules in the wilderness as he fed the asses of Zibion, his father. Again, there's got to be significance here. I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea what it is, but there is bound to be. And if you know it, please don't keep us in the dark. Please let me know. Send me a text. Um, send me email. Let me know. I uh there's a hunger and a thirst to know the Word of God. What in the world is, is the importance? So, to be honest with you, for me, uh, if it's not the lineage of Jesus, uh, for me, honestly, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's how I have viewed it. But I do want to know what the Bible's talking about when it gets to all this. So if you know, please get back to me. And the children of Anna were these, and so we're going to skip down a little bit. And. Uh, We're going to get to where verse number 31. And these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before they reigned any king over the children of Israel. Now, check this out. So Esau and the Edomites have already set up a monarchy, if you will. They've already got monarchies set up and they're ruling different towns. But that was not what God had in mind. For Israel, And so this says, before there reigned any king over the children of Israel, because God set up judges, if you remember, and whenever they actually exited and left Egypt, the Lord had no desire to set them up a king. He wanted a theocracy because he was going to be a lot more giving and kind to the people than a monarch. Uh, and you see how that played out so uh, as a matter of fact, the Lord prophesies about it later on in Scripture when they're asking, give us a king like all the other nations. The Lord comes in and says, hey, if I give you a king like we did in other nations, there are some things that are going to have to change because the new king's that your king is not going to allow what I have blessed you with and what I've given you. And you're going to work for him instead of being able to work for yourself. So here God is warning them uh, basically that a form of socialism is going to destroy you and it, it's very interesting we're, that's way ahead of us. so' we're, we're nowhere near that yet. but so let's continue to go back to this. Uh, Bel, Bella the son of Beor reigned in Edom the name of the city was dim someplace. And so here we see that these people, the Edomites have some kind of influence. They've got some kind of power, some kind of control, and they are, uh, they are a civilized, to some extent, uh, group of people at this point. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's interesting. I'll tell you what, let me go back, let me go down and find it. Verse number 35, I find interesting. It says, and Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Beddad, who smote Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his stead, and the name of a city was Avith. So why is that interesting? He smote Midian in the field of Moab. Now where is the field of Moab? If you don't remember, Moab was the uh, a direct descendant of Lot. The Moabites were from the incest of lot and his daughters his uh, incest i don't know if that's the right word but they got lot drunk and both of them slept with lot and so that they could have kids and so now they've got kids and their kids one of their children is moab uh, or the moabites come from him so it does get interesting but you've got to really dig and and search and like i said i I've got people that get more into this than I do, and so if you want to help me out, I would absolutely love it. So let's scroll down a little bit more. And Samla, verse number 37, died and saw uh, by the river reigned in his stead. So now you're seeing the kingdom is set up, and people are coming in, and they're ruling and reigning, and they're dying off. So basically it's like we're going through the Chronicles if you will of Edom and the direct descendants of Esau, and Saul died and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I will I I don't feel like boring us with the rest of this. So let's go down to verse number forty-three. Verse number forty-three said, Duke Magdiel, I guess Duke Iram, these be the dukes of Edom according to their habitations in the land of their possession. He is Esau the father. of, of the Edomites. Again, why is this interesting? Why does this matter? I'll give you a little insight. Because when Israel leaves Egypt and they are wandering in the desert, they're looking for their home, they're looking for their Canaan land, they are out pursuing what God has placed before them. He gives them some rules. He tells them who to fight and who not to fight. And it's very important that they are obedient in who they fight and who they don't fight. And not only does he tell them who to and who not to, he also tells them why. He tells them, don't go to war with Egypt because you were strangers in their land because they took you in. That's a crazy thing. Why in the world would you not? Would it not be okay to fight Egypt? We were their slaves, <laughs> right? It, it's crazy, but that's the way God thinks. And he tells them, about the Edomites because of Esau. And there are some, he says, now that one, you go kill and you take them all out. And we're gonna see that and and where it plays in and when they are disobedient. For instance, when Saul was supposed to just completely eradicate the adversary, he leaves the king and he leaves some sheep and some other things. And it comes back later on to bite Israel in the rear end. It's important that you be obedient and you do what it is that the Lord asks of you. Tell you what, I am running out of time. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you later.